Bloody Elbow presents another exclusive fighter interview. Our crack team of professional MMA interviewers include Steffi Haynes, Eddie Mercado, Victor Rodriguez, and other fight analysts from BloodyElbow.com. We bring you interviews with renowned combat sports fighters, notable figures from the entertainment side of the community, and combat sports insiders. Be sure to subscribe at BloodyElbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at BloodyElbowPodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Bloody Elbow blog, and as always, on BloodyElbow.com. Thanks for listening. Bloody Elbow podcasts are proud to be sponsored by RevGear. They've been a pioneer in the industry and have grown into a formidable brand and true leader in the MMA gear market. Bloody Elbow listeners get 20% off. Go to RevGear.com slash Bloody Elbow email sign up. Uh, I am joined by UFC veteran, MMA pioneer, analyst, coach, and just all around one of the brilliant minds of combat sports, Mr. Dean Thomas. How are you, sir? I'm good, man. How are you? Uh, I'm fantastic. I'm talking to Dean Thomas. I don't think it gets uh, much better than that. Oh, well, uh, thank you very much. Yeah, man, you are an OG of the sport. And you came in, like, it was right after the time when Zufa had purchased the UFC and Dana White was president. Um so when you look at the UFC nowadays, uh, what would you say is the most glaring difference from when you competed? It, it's hard to say. You know why? Because for me, it's still the same sport, right? Like when I got involved, and I got involved in 1995, and it was all about learning how to defend yourself, how to fight, and just like, and competition, right? That's what it was. It was testing yourself against another human being. So like at the end of the day, my core soul still believes in that. Mm -hmm. And, but the sport has outgrown that, or I don't even want to say outgrown. I want to say it has taken another path. And so the priority of the sport has taken a completely different path, but for me, it's still what it always was. But when I look at that path that the UFC has taken and MMA has taken, I'm, impressed i'm proud sometimes i'm disgusted <laughs> sure sure <laughs> but at the end, of, the end of the day it's provided me a living and a career and a lifestyle and i would have it no other way because i can't do anything else <laughs> since i was 18 years old i've dedicated my life to the sport of what we know now as mma and i can't do anything else and i'm just so thankful that there are opportunities for me to still be in it yeah, I mean, the UFC brings you in as an on-air talent uh, frequently. How did that even get to be? Did you approach them, or did they hit you up and was like, Dean, we need we need a mind out here, you know? Oh, I mean, I had just, it's crazy because, like, my life has just really, like, pieces to a puzzle. Like, I had been, like, working on different things, and, and when I needed a certain skill set, I kind of already had it because I had been working on things along the way, and that's being in front of a camera, interviewing and talking and speak. So I had all those things kind of in my back pocket. And that's kind of what got me the job on looking for a fight. 
So I was on, I was on, and that's how it all started. When, uh, when the gentleman before me got kicked off the show or left the show, I'll say, I don't want to throw any rumors out there. When he left the show, they, they needed somebody right away. And Matt Sarah said, what about Dean Thomas? And Dana called me and I was on the show and that just opened up so many doors for me. Just a, another world of opportunities just by taking that advantage of that one opportunity and being prepared, took advantage of that. And then we were in Abu Dhabi and I was right by them uh, riding bikes with the vice president of production. And I didn't know he was the vice president of production. We just chopped it up every day, riding bikes, talking about fights. And he was like, man, you would be great on the desk. You ever thought about that? And I was like, nah, I never really thought about that. He was like, well, you should give it a shot. I'm going to have some people get in touch with you. Next thing I know, I'm on the desk. Next thing I know, I get a contract. Next thing I know, I'm like, I'm like, man, I'm, I'm next thing I know, I got my own show on ESPN after tough, you know? So it's just one thing leads to another, just by taking advantage of that opportunity that you never really knew was going to be the big one. No, I love it. I think that's absolutely fantastic that there's even an avenue for, for veterans of the sport who who've been there. They know what they're talking about to actually, yeah, you know, share that knowledge with the world because there's a, a lot of us don't know what's going on right like well, a lot of us yeah, don't. And that too and and i feel bad for a lot of other guys in the sport because it's such a new sport and it's such a underground dirty and this is one of the things that disgusts me like i said it's such a it's such a new sport and there's no real blueprint on how to be successful at this mm-hmm. and when it's over a lot of guys don't have a lot of opportunities And they dedicate so much of their time and craft on their craft and not the end game. Mm -hmm. And because they don't want to, they don't want to admit to themselves that eventually they're going to have to stop fighting. No one wants to admit that when they're in the middle of a a fight career, eventually it's going to end. So they don't want to admit it and they don't work on something to do afterwards. However, I was fortunate enough to not be that guy. And, th- right. and I always knew that one day it would end. And it's probably because I got in when I got in, you know, in the early two thousands, no one thought that you could make a career at this. So we were always like, all right, what am I going to do after this? What am I going to do after that? What am I going to do after this? And irresponsibly, I didn't go to college or anything. So I was doing like acting classes mm. so I could be better. So I could be better on the mic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I could get in front of a camera and talk. So I was doing that instead of instead of like going to school to be a you know a lawyer or something. So sure, sure. By doing that, it parlayed into me being on TV, and everything just kind of worked out for me. Like I said, pieces to a puzzle mm-hmm. created this picture. I always like to say that um, I hate when people say that you know you're lucky or whatever. That's like the worst. But and I always tell them that luck is just it's when preparation meets opportunity. So I'm not I can't I can't co-sign on you saying that you just got in at you got in at the right time. I think you just sacrificed a big part of your life and you dedicated it to this craft, to combat sports. And like you're saying, you were putting you were preparing yourself. So when the opportunities did arise, you were ready for them. You know? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. I, I just, I stay prepared, but I'm always ready. Like, I keep a bag with all my stuff in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, always, I'm always ready for any opportunity. If somebody got a good opportunity for me, call me because I'm always ready. You know, when, 
in fact, in doing this interview, when I was approached to do this interview, they made it like it was a big deal. I was like, dude, that's a studio interview. Like, I'm always ready. Like, I'm mm -hmm. prepared. Mm -hmm. Let's get this thing on. You never mm -hmm. know. But it's because it's nothing's a big deal to me. And it, it drives me crazy sometimes when I'm dealing with fighters who are always looking for, what are you going to give me right now? Sure. Sure. What are you going to like? Uh, oh, can you do an interview? Well, what are you going to give me? Mm -hmm. and, and to me, I'm just like, you don't get it. You have a hard it. time. You have a hard time making in this game. You know, you don't get it. Yeah. And like, even on the journalism side, I have plenty of, you know, fans uh, who, who are like, oh man, how'd you get into journalism? Like, what do you, how do you get on? Like, what do you do? And I just tell them like, you just do it and you got to be willing to eat shit and you have to be willing to do free work. Like, that's what it boils down to. If you're not willing to do free work, like if you don't love what you're doing enough to do it for free, like you're not going to get anywhere. Or when people ask about sponsorships, I'm like, they're like, how do you get sponsorships? I'm like, well, you need to articulate how you can uh, how you can bring value to them. If you start out with me, 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 they're not getting through three sentences. You got to right away tell them <laughs> what value you can provide them or they don't have time for that. And like, you know, it's funny when you talk about that, it's and I tell it, I'm always like, yo, sponsors aren't there to give you free money to help you achieve your dream. That's not what a sponsorship is. Mm -hmm. And fighters believe that they believe that there's these companies out there that really want to see them do well in mixed martial arts and just want to give them a bunch of money. I go, that's not the way it works. Mm -mm. I go, you know, sponsorships are a partnership where you're advertising for them. So you need to be out there. So when, so when bloody elbow approaches you to do a spot, to do an interview, you need to get on that interview so that your name can be out there so that the companies that give you money can have some eyeballs on them as well. Mm -hmm. And people don't get it, man. They just think that sp sponsors want to see them train and fight in these small towns. Like they don't get it, man. I go, that's why you're never going to be successful because that that's the only blueprint really in this game. And that's taking care of other people along the way. Right. I think that's mm -hmm. because a lot besides that, there's no real blueprint on how to have success, but I think that's a blueprint in life really is just yeah. on your journey to to what it is that you want to do, make sure you take care of some other people because that aligns you with that positivity that keeps you moving forward. Yeah, and it takes a village. Anything I've ever done involved other people, and that usually involved me paying into that relationship way ahead of time. So when I did happen to ask for a favor, they were more than willing, like more than willing because you lay the foundation. You know, it's not just a gimme, gimme, gimme kind of thing. Uh, but let me ask you this. Uh, so, you know, you were around in like the good old uh, sponsorship days where they had the tap out shorts with like a mm -hmm. gazillion logos on it. And I call it the glory days. It was. <laughs> but like nowadays they got the Venom deal and all of that. Uh, do you know like what percentage um, fighters get through the Venom deal versus what you were getting when when you were fighting? Well, it's, it's an unfair comparison, really, because. When we were getting what we were getting, the market was skewed. It was it was a time where that was a time where like the sport was kind of was blowing, was starting to blow up, and people wanted to be. I'm sorry. Oh no! I, I can still hear you. <laughs> I'll be. All right, hey. here we go. I dropped my phone. Dropped. I'm terribly sorry. No, but that was a time where 
the sport was just starting to blow up and no one really knew what it was. And again, again, there was no blueprint. So no one really knew what MMA fighters made. And they thought that we made a lot of money. So all these uh, startup companies were investing a lot in the MMA and they were giving guys a lot of money. I remember making almost 70 grand for one fight. And yeah, I mean, we were making a lot of money in sponsors because you could go to different companies and be like, yeah, MMA, it's on pay-per-view. And so you got to give my guy $10,000 for this little patch on the shorts. And companies were like, all right, I'll do it. And, And that's why everybody was making a lot of money. And then after that, it kind of balanced out to where people realized that, wait a minute, there's no return of investment of our investment. And then, it, and then a lot of MMA fighters were getting screwed over because these companies weren't paying them or they were going out of business because they weren't legit or substantial enough to really pay that money. So when we talk about the glory days of the sponsorships for a couple of years, it was amazing. But then after that, when it balanced out, when when they realized that, all right, wait a minute, what are we doing? Then it wasn't that amazing. So that's why I'm not completely upset with the Venom deal. Like, I wish they could make more. But at least I know this. At least I know that that check clears. Right. At least we know yeah. that. At least we know that that check clears. Because I remember times where, you know, a company would be like, all right, here, we're going to give you $5,000 to do, to wear this T-shirt. Then you're knocking on the door. Nobody's answering the call. They're not calling you back and you're not getting it back. So at least we know that the check clears with the Venom deal. It may not be what people think. I mean, it's kind of a democratic way of distributing the money, you know, because, you know, some of the real good guys probably should get more. But the guys on the on the entry level are getting about what they deserve. And getting about what they deserve because they're probably not bringing that many eyeballs. But at the end of the day, um, I'm hoping it gets better. I'm I'm assuming that in a, as the sport grows, it's going to get better. But for now, at least the check is clearing. Uh, yeah, I guess you do have a point with that. Um, but it just seemed like when when they had independent sponsors, when fighters had independent sponsors, um, yeah, the potential, the potential, the, the potential, to make more. The, yeah. So when you talk about some of the higher profile fighters. Yeah, they're screwed from that because, like, yeah. if you're a high-profile fighter and you could have made a lot of money with that sponsorship, you know, you could you could have really cleaned up. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's a little bit more lenient than it was than it was expected. I remember when they first started outfitting the fighters, they were like, "All right, fight week, you're not allowed to wear anything else, mm-hmm. and you're not allowed to do this." But now, I mean, they're very lenient with it. Like, if you're if you're a fighter, you can still have sponsorships. You can sure. still freak sponsorships. You can still, I mean, we got social media now where right. the visibility and exposure to helping your sponsors are so much more than a little patch on your shorts. So if you are, if you're freaking it right, if you're freaking it right, you should still be getting good sponsorships. Right. But I just don't think a lot of fighters are freaking it to their, to the best of their ability. Do you remember when Sam Alvey, he had that tanning sponsor and he like tanned the words on himself. Yes. <laughs> he said he got fined for that. He Did like he really? 25 grand. So, oh my God. Well, he said that uh, it wasn't really a 25 grand fine, but he was going to get a performance bonus. But because oh. of the UFC, he was like, nah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> Do you see him? Do you see his karate combat debut at all? No. How did it go for him? 
Uh, it went really well. He got a first round knockout. It was yeah, like really? classic Sam Alvey. Yeah. Well, classic good for Sam. him, man. I'm glad he found some place where he can win fights, man. Because yeah, I mean, I I was we started getting concerned about these guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Start, start oh, the, to worry about these guys, and they're getting knocked out. And the worst part of being an MMA fan is having to watch your heroes go out on their shield. That's for me. That's oh, like, it is. It's, it's unavoidable, no. you know. And again, no one, no one tells them. And in their head, they think that all they got to do is they can train through it. They can train through the slump. Mm-hmm. But it's no training through the slump, man. It just that's not a slump. <laughs> that's a <laughs> downward spiral. <laughs> it's a trend. It's trending down. Yeah, for sure. Um. So, like, one of back to the sponsorship talk. I know, like, back in the day, you were sponsored by Rev Gear, and mm-hmm. they were. The very first pair of shin guards and Muay Thai gloves I ever owned was Rev Gear. Like that's how long ago they've been around, and like they're still here, and and I think that's pretty unique. Not a lot of uh, there's a lot of brands that come into combat sports that are here today, gone today, so to speak. But Rev Gear has been around for over two decades. It's got to be by now. Uh, what do you think is the the key to be a consistent brand in combat sports? I'll tell you what, and I spoke on this in terms of those sponsorships earlier, is that if you're still around in this game after a while, kudos, props, hats off to you because you're doing it right. You're doing something right. And again, on something that I alluded to earlier was that you're taking care of people the right way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the one thing that Rev Gear has always done, especially for me, is they've always taken care of me. Like if I ever needed anything, they always took care of me. They're, they're, they always answer my calls. They're always there for me. And they just they really do good business and they have a good product. Like how can you it doesn't get better than that? Like if you have a good product, good people, and you're doing good business, you can be around. And that's the one thing that Rev Gear has done is they've They've checked all those boxes where a lot of companies failed in one or many of those areas. But Rev Gear has always been on top of it. I just saw a picture just a couple of days ago. A friend of mine randomly sent me a picture from like it was over a decade ago, and I'm in a Rev Gear shirt. I go, oh man, I got. I'm saying they don't even make those no more. Right. They don't even make that kind no more. But I, I'm always in Rev Gear stuff now. I got, I'm always in like the Rev Gear. Uh, sleeveless hoodies because i started working out a little bit so like you know i gotta you know i gotta get, get you know, swole on yeah it's, it's <laughs> cold it's cold but i gotta let i still gotta show everybody the shoulders mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying i got they gotta see the shoulder they gotta see the work do they make geese to access the bonus content of this show you must be a paid subscriber to do that go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey, Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection main card and prelims UFC preview shows, 
the sixth round post fight show the show money podcast and the mma depressed us <laughs>